happy Easter. Welcome to this week's episode of Where Peter Is Live. I'm joined this week by Paul Fahey and Melinda Ribneck. Paul's back. Hey. And we have a new guest today. We have Patrick Peters, who is a new contributor to our site, longtime fan. He's seen <laughs> him in the comments on our streams before. Um, but Patrick wrote an awesome post for us this week, so we wanted to have him on to talk about it. Mike Lewis, as you probably notice, is not with us today. He's recovering from his glaucoma procedure earlier this week. So keep Mike in your prayers and maybe he's going to comment while we're on here. We'll see. <laughs> but Paul is going to open us up with a prayer today. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for all that you've done for us. And we thank you for this Easter season. We ask you to please send us your Holy Spirit that the truth of who you are and your love for us may become present to us again and may transform our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. So we promoted this uh, show as the Unsexy Easter edition of the live stream. We've had a couple of posts on our site this week, one which I wrote and one which Patrick wrote, which both had sexy in the title. And Mike was a little (laughs) wondering who approved those headlines but so we've had some spicy takes on the site this week and it's been easter week so we're still in the octave of easter so i want to ask you guys how your easter is going is it going does it feel like easter it does i so i have been off of twitter a lot this week which has definitely felt like easter no but we we yeah we just I, it's all a blur, but the kids and I have been doing Easter egg hunts and a little bit of champagne in the yard, bringing the bunny out. <laughs> we do have a bunny, like I mentioned. And if you've noticed on my Twitter page, I've only posted a thousand photos, but it has been a wonderful week, I think, just to sit back. And for me, I've put a lot of things on hold. Okay kind of like the world sucks in a lot of ways, but like right now it's just a couple of holy days just to rejoice. So that's where I've been at and very grateful for these last couple of days. But yeah, but I noticed that you guys have been doing real work and actually putting stuff on the site. So (laughs) the site's been been operative this week. Patrick, how's your Easter going? It's good. I was able to go to the Easter vigil here and I only recently started going back to mass because of COVID in the last few months or so. So it was a really nice experience to be able to do that. But other than the actual churchy stuff, I feel like the weather here has been reminding me a lot of just Easter and spring. And I don't even know. I don't think I even know where you guys are, but. Yeah, where are you, Patrick? Where are you? I'm in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky, 60 ah. miles north of Nashville. Yeah, I'm really familiar with that area. Yeah, okay. it's nice. You get the four seasons there. Yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. I'm in California, so it's always Easter. Sorry, but true. (laughs) I'm a little Northwest view. I live in St. Louis, Missouri, so. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm up in Michigan, and we actually get get all four seasons because you don't really enjoy the nice weather if you don't have six months of terrible weather. No, you do. (laughs) Actually, Melinda knows her California, like, it's dreary (laughs) permacloud everywhere else. And Melinda's posting beautiful pictures of California hills. The sky is so blue. The sun is blinding here, but I'm all about it. And I do feel a little bad for it, but it doesn't stop me from shamelessly bragging every other day. So, yeah. So, happy Easter. (laughs) Yeah. We went back to Mass for the first time on Easter, and, like, 
Patrick, we were staying away for a long time because of COVID and stuff. And we went to mass in the gymnasium. And Mm -hmm. it just, it was funny to me how I'm not super like liturgically obsessive anymore, but oh, sorry, but it's like the very pared down, like mass in chairs that are spaced six feet apart in a gym with the portable altar and like lectern and stuff. Like it's just so basic, but everyone there was like really grateful for it I and like really cooperative and after mass father's thanking everyone for being compliant and that he asked for help stacking the chairs and people like immediately during the exit him are like stacking chairs so I'd be like all complaining about this but it's Easter hallelujah so is, yeah. is, is there time for a tangent Yes. Okay. okay. Do a okay. So the, the Easter Vigil is my absolute favorite. And I, I'm the director of RCIA at my parish. So I get to, it's even better to go to the Easter Vigil. But before I worked at the parish, my wife and I were part of a Catholic community, the um, Neocatechumenal Way. And they have specific permissions for their liturgies, but they have an all night Easter Vigil. And by all night, I mean, it starts around midnight or 1 a.m. and goes until six or seven in the morning. Oh. And it's really, really pared down. So it's usually in like a hall and it's usually only 20 or 30 people and they have an altar and a candle and a baptismal font. And it's just, it's amazing. Do they do all like readings, like more readings than usual? How does it go all night? There's Um, already like 20 readings. They, they sing everything they possibly can to drag it out. Um, Wow. And, and a part of the permission for their liturgies is opportunity for the community to give not, they're called echoes. So not, not homilies, but more like, how did this reading strike me? And then the homily usually brings in what people shared and then expounds upon it. And there's three homilies. They did the first three readings in homily, the next three readings homily, and then through the gospel in homily. I mean, they they drag it out, but there's something something really incredible about keeping vigil all night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really awesome. Oh, I'm sure the trads will write us letters for that. No questions. <laughs> Moving on. You wrote a post for us this week. It was untangling sex from same-sex love. So I want to just introduce everyone to you since we've already talked about how you're from Kentucky. But you are a graphic designer, writer, and you told me you're a wannabe theologian. You graduated from Western Kentucky University with a BA in Religious Studies and Graphic Design. And you're currently working on an MA in Theology from Franciscan University in Steubenville. Mm-hmm. And you, you said you live in Bowling Green and you work as a catechist and member of the Young Adult Core team. And you have a blog, so everyone should go visit this. It's smellysheep.wordpress.com. And I want every, and I want you to tell us like where that name came from because. Yeah, I think (laughs) I was probably just trying to, this is like maybe five years ago or so. So I was trying to just find an alliteration, first of all, (laughs) I was trying to think of and then sheep is like a very Christian symbol, like followers of Christ. And then I thought, I try to be a follower of Christ, but like I have difficulties like anyone else, or I might struggle with church teaching or fall into sin and all that. So I thought I'm basically like a smelly sheep. I'm not like That's perfect yet. Yeah. I like it because it just reminds me of like one of the areas I think we've gone a little um, wrong maybe in the American church is that is this constant call to smell like the sheep. Mm-hmm. So and pass they, they talk about this a lot with like clergy, but also with us lay people as we minister to each other as well. Yeah. Like smelling like the sheep, like it's such an important call. And the way you did it was so humble because you're like, I'm the smelly sheep. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I didn't even make that connection, but okay. Yeah, but that's what I think of it. Pope Francis is constant call to us to go among and to smell like the sheep. But not necessarily just like you, Patrick, because yeah. if we all follow your example, we realize we all are smelly sheep. <laughs> so, yeah, I like that yeah. a lot. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. So your post was really brought about by your response to the recent CDF response to some questions about the blessing of gay civil unions. So I just want to ask first, what was your personal response to the news about that CDF response and when you first heard about it? Yeah, I think my response was, I guess you could say twofold, because I usually get headlines like that filtered through other like news services. And so I was frustrated with both how people reacted to it in general, and like how they were phrasing it, like maybe against Pope Francis, on one side of a like political ideology, or the exact same thing, but maybe on the other side. So I was frustrated there with just the reaction but then my own reaction also to the actual document itself, when I read it, I came away from it frustrated because it seemed to do that common thing that church documents do when they talk about homosexuality and gay people, which is they focus on like the moral act of sex and they seem to forget about what all else the relationship might involve between two people. And thankfully that document actually did include, which I'm, sh- we might, I'm sure we might get to, but the phrase about the positive elements, like admitting to positive elements in some same-sex relationships. But basically when you read the document, I feel like you come away with it thinking the church is against this because same-sex sexual activity is bad. And I just keep, that's something I always hear and it's just frustrating. So I don't know. Yeah. So it sounds like your reaction was mixed. There's, there's this bit about positive elements, but ultimately it's still seeming to fall into this error that you point out in your post of conflating, or I don't want to say that you're accusing them of error, um, but fall into this kind of trap in how we talk about or think about like gay relationships that always equate them with sexual activity. Is that would you say that that's yeah. fair? Okay. Yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely, I would say I came away frustrated from reading the document myself. But then at the same time, I had this feeling of needing to defend, <laughs> so it's weird, but I had this feeling of needing to defend where the church was actually coming from. Yeah. And so like people who were trying to say Pope Francis is a hypocrite or uh, the church, you know, hates gay people or all that kind of reaction, the very simplistic reaction. I at the same time wanted to defend the, what the church is saying if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And that came out really in your post, you highlighted the two kinds of responses that mm-hmm. that we all saw really to the CDF letter, which was, you said on the right, there's this, haha, Pope Francis vindicates the teaching, you can't bless sin. Yeah. And that, that mm-hmm. meme from that was going around everywhere, that was really just completely yeah. insensitive. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, people just totally rejecting Pope Francis. And it sounds like as someone who really loves the church, like this is a cheap shot at a church that I love. (laughs) I mean, I also, I was wondering when we first, as a group of straight married Catholics, the rest of us, when we read the CDF letter, we saw, oh, wow, they are pointing out positive elements in these relationships or positive elements um, underlying the desire for someone to have their union blessed. 
And that's really innovative. That's really new. That seems mm. that seems different. That seems like a shift in how the church is approaching gay Catholics. So would you say that that helped with your interpretation or like reception of the letter? Would you say like you had as positive a response to that element of it as maybe others did who aren't like? I think mostly I was looking at it like I'm used to since I'm I would identify as like gay and Catholic. I'm used to that language anyway. Mm-hmm. But since I'm really interested in theology, I have my own way of nuancing things where I don't get offended that easily. It's almost, I know the church actually says more than what this is saying to me. So in that specific instance, it didn't really affect me much. However, I was able to pull that out as a way to say, look, even this small piece that the document's willing to grant to the positive aspects of some same-sex relationships, that shows that that can be like drawn out more and we can actually focus in on that more than the church has in the past. So, so in other words, even though I already knew that there is such a thing as like positive elements in relationships besides, it's not just like sex and every single positive relationship, that's something that not everyone is used to hearing And that's definitely not something that I considered like when I was first starting to think about these things like 10 years ago or so. So the, the, the focus of your article was that we, I mean, like we, we make all relationships about sex. The the pastor that I had when I was in college, he would write um, booklets for his congregation about everything from virtue or prayer or anyways, he wrote one about intimacy that really opened my mind to a lot of stuff. But he talked about how every human being needs intimacy mm-hmm. and every human being needs physical intimacy. And he's, but the problem is, is that we've, we, we've collapsed physical intimacy to holding hands and sex. And there's nothing in between those two things. And so like his perspective came at a time in like my own like spiritual formation where I mean, I was really caught up in the, the conservative culture war stuff. I think his writing really like help, helped prevent me from falling entirely in, I know, with the more hardline conservative position. But I remember mm-hmm. about five or six years ago going to a, a Courage conference in my state. And they, they had, I think they had Eve Tushnet, who you mentioned in your article mm-hmm. there. And that was seen as almost like, a scandalous thing. Like I hadn't realized how much of a debate this idea that chaste but committed same same sex relationships, like that even being thrown out as a possibility, how controversial that was. In part thanks to my pastor, but I mean I I really resonated with her position and, and likewise resonate with your position a lot. So I, I'm curious if you have like a journey or an evolution with your your own thought with that. Yeah, thanks for asking that because I think Eve Tushnet really helped to evolve my understanding on the whole thing because like growing up when I started to realize like I have these feelings also paralleled my like renewed sense of faith and interest in theology and so I had kind of like this new conflict and throughout high school and undergrad at college it would always seem like I couldn't be both because like I was wavering between one or the other. And part of that was precisely because of 
the way the church has phrased the issue around sex. So I don't know if we were going to get into this a little more later, but go ahead and bring up the intrinsically disordered thing. Yes, go ahead. Yes. (laughs) So I know there's a lot of like controversy, like people don't like that term and all that. So like the catechism and other church documents refer to homosexuality as a, as an, tendency or a temptation or orientation as intrinsically disordered because the fact of of the actual moral act of same-sex sex is intrinsically disordered. It's not ordered to what the church would teach that is the true purpose of sex. Mm-hmm. So, but the problem with that is, and someone like me who hears that, is that even though people in the church will be like, we're not saying gay people are disordered. We're saying that just the temptation or whatever is disordered but when you have this like tangled notion of like sex and relationship it starts to sound like no matter what feelings i have for another guy or like the desire to have some kind of relationship with another guy close relationship it's almost like something ticks off in my head that says no that's like intrinsically disordered like all those feelings that are intertwined with that are bad so it's because the church, about it. yeah, yeah, the, because the church doesn't really make that distinction well enough, I don't think, or at least for me, that's why I always felt like, okay, either gay or Catholic, not both. And so when, when I finally came to Eve Tushnet's way of thinking, which was, there is this difference, and in the church's history, there are examples of ways of loving that aren't just romantic or center around sex, that was like eye-opening for me, I guess. And that was only a few years ago. So until then, it was really this back and forth thing, which was unhealthy. One thing we've talked about on um, the live in the past is the issue. I think it was Rachel, you and Paula and Mike and I were on that show about how we really don't talk about like the disordered sexuality in marriages. We assume that if you're oftentimes in these circles, if you're having the right kind of sex, that somehow that's all that matters is that you're married, straight and non-contracepting. And as I'm hearing you talk, Patrick, all I'm thinking is, wow, there are sometimes my desires, my even sexual desires are disordered. And yet somehow like I can evade feeling that stigma somehow, like I can say, I know these orders are not good or these um, desires are not good, but like I evade being able to internalize them to such an extent. And I wonder if we had more open and honest, frank discussions about disordered heterosexual desires and that kind of thing. And even within marriages, would it, make it feel less stigmatizing for when when gay Catholics have homosexual desires. Do you think that that would help the conversation? Because the reality is, is that all of us have disordered drives, all of us. And so the issue is, how do we not let those disordered drives like internalized to the point that we feel like we're unlovable or we're somehow worse than everybody or there's something so innately wrong with us? How do we see that as a sin that's separate from us or a disorder that's separate from us? And I'm talking about heterosexual mm-hmm. disorders as well and not internalize it so much that it separates us from God ultimately. And I wonder if having more open conversations about heterosexual disorders would help that not be so stigmatizing for homosexual disorders. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. And we do stick with the word like disorders. Like you said, we got to keep it on the, like we're talking about the moral 
the precise moral meaning of the sexual activity part. And so it's almost like I want the church to be able to say, look, these things are disordered, but your desire to love another person or your desire to love another person of the same sex, that's not disordered. And I feel like that was missing from my understanding. And that's where, what, like what you just said, I and I guess so many others just internalize it as I'm like, I guess I'm a disordered person. So yeah, I think that makes sense. That definitely, yeah. Like I didn't, I haven't thought about that before about how maybe straight people aren't as quick to internalize it. They can just say, oh, that's not a good thing I thought of, or that's not a good temptation or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I think that would make a lot of sense to pull together. Yeah, the key seems to be like, how do we separate Yeah, that disordered desire from an understanding of the person? Yeah. And And I mean, with, sorry, I mean, with that, like, (laughs) in terms of intimacy, and even like the tendency of our desires, like, the church has traditionally defined that as concupiscence, like the desire Mm -hmm. for sin, basically, Mm -hmm. that's concupiscence. And that's something that everyone really struggles with. And we don't, I think what we're noticing here is that we don't have the same level of like, shame or maybe separation from one another based on that as we do when it comes to LGBT Catholics and LGBT sexuality versus sexuality generally. I think it's, it is interpreted or understood maybe differently by different people. So maybe if we focused on what rightly ordered love looks like, what chastity is, then we could have a, a more common basis to really proceed in terms of considering creative options for ministering to um, people who have felt so excluded in the church because of their sexuality. And Paul, you were going to say something. So. Yeah, I was going to say that, I mean, I mean, I've had to confront over the past few years and it's been a grace to confront like my own homophobia, especially coming out of the more conservative like culture war like place that I was in but 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 something I've noticed that that I used to believe and had internalized so like uh, I wrote a short piece when that city of document came out just summarizing the main points and 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 one of the things I I highlighted was that the document goes out of its way to say that same-sex sexual unions can't be blessed but same-sex persons certainly can thereby saying that persons are not disordered that's what this document was saying. And so I just, I said that very bluntly and someone commented saying, well, but, but, but we have to, we got to clarify that like the desires are disordered. There was this instant jump to say, but gay mm-hmm. people are different. It's like, we couldn't just stop and say, people are not disordered. And I know that's a tendency that, that, that I used to have, at least in my own thoughts. And it's something that I see as quite prevalent within the church at least in my circles of the church. So, yeah, I do think that, and not just, I think we need to talk about disordered desires and not just LGBT issues so that we're able to better uh, internalize the difference between our concupiscence, which we all have, which is disordered, which is Mm -hmm. from sin. But part Mm -hmm. of what makes us Catholic is that sin doesn't totally destroy our dignity. Yeah, and that's not a Catholic belief. That's Mm -hmm. a Protestant belief. Catholic belief is that we're always, yeah, we still have our dignity. We still have our value no matter what. We're not disordered. So, yeah, I'm not sure where I was going with that, but I, I agree, Melinda. That's where I was going with that. 
Yeah. yeah, Patrick, I'd love to hear from you. In your article, you talk about these chase relationships. I'd love to hear a little more about what that looks like and what you refer to as like creative ministering. Yeah. Yeah, that subject, which I was also first, you know, introduced to by uh, Eve Teshnet, and there are others like Wesley Hill, who I think is an Anglican. It's interesting because it's a cool thing to discover in the history of the church that they're committed relationships that aren't not just marriage and all of that. And so the discovery by like gay people of that kind of thing who also want to be faithful to like their church's teaching, that can give them sort of like a hope, like a way forward. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think Eve Tushnet says this, like I don't want to speak for her, but I think I've read it and seen her in her videos. Like she also doesn't want to set this up as a way that kind of like solves the problem because it's like it might put too much like expectation just as much expectation on the gay person like i'm gonna find my one good true committed person just like there might be a lot of pressure on people to get married to like i'm gonna find my one true love and all that so she doesn't want to turn that into an idol either like she calls marriage has sometimes been like an idolized in our society um oh it definitely has (laughs) yeah yeah, um But like when someone is in a place where you do find yourself in a relationship and like a gay relationship, but you want to be Christian, I think Eve's insight and this idea of like chase relationship is you don't have to get rid of all of these like positive elements and it's not wrong to want to love someone. And like, I think Paul said at the beginning, there's this intrinsic human desire for like intimacy I know there's, I forgot his name, but there's a Protestant gay Christian who argues more for like full inclusion, like acceptance of like homosexual behavior and all of that. But he uses the whole man or the Genesis quote, like man's not meant to be alone, kind of as his way forward. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we, we wouldn't go all the way with same sex marriage and all that, at least in the Catholic tradition. But the point's the same is like we can't live alone. We can't live in isolation. And I think American culture, especially, is you're expected to marry someone in order to not feel alone anymore. And so I don't know if that's really... Catholic cultures, too, this idolization of, like, marriage as well, that the pinnacle can be to get get married and to... Yeah. Rachel, I think you were about to say something. (laughs) I was just going to say that we... We do seem to idolize these like individual one-on-one relationships, including mm-hmm. marriage, because that's one of the last remaining relationships that we have in this postmodern culture with the plague of loneliness and everything. But everyone does need a context of like robust relationships of all different kinds to help them really flourish. And so I wonder if part of the solution, too, is... Everybody needs to understand the need for friendships of different Mm -hmm. kinds, for relationships of different kinds that feed us in different ways and not to put all of our hope in in one relationship to help us realize who we are and be the way we are closest to any other human being on earth or anything like that. But then the other thing I was thinking of, too, was a lot of hesitancy around maybe the like the spiritual friendship idea seems to be like, well, we can't, we can't endorse that because that might be risky mm-hmm. because people have sexual attractions. And so you're playing with fire. Mm-hmm. What if, what if people mess up? But mm-hmm. it seems like that's, that doesn't 
allow for really how we understand people to grow in virtue or mm-hmm. to grow like in the Christian life, which you sometimes do have to like risk yeah. messing up even. So to, as you're growing, know that setbacks are going to happen, but that God is merciful and we will always seek to do better and cooperate with grace the best we can and continue on the journey. And that the fear of what might happen in some situations might it seems to hold back like the creativity of the church's ministry in the theory. That's, that was one of the thoughts I had in reading your article. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I want to say something real quick on that because yeah. it's actually something else I got from Eve too. I keep getting things from her, but again, I don't want to speak for her, but I think this came from her is that the whole idea, these kind of relationships, even chaste relationships would might lead one to sin or would be an occasion of sin. Mm-hmm. She put it nicely, I think. And I, I really feel this too, is without that relationship, think about the kind of occasion of sin that might be there. And what she's getting at is, I guess it just depends on the person, but what I understood her saying is like the kind of sins that might open up if you don't have that kind of person, that person to love, that companion. Like for me, for example, like I used to say, I went back and forth from being like, okay, I got to accept either my sexuality or my faith. Was well, like, well, if I can't love someone, if I can't have a boyfriend or a committed relationship or whatever, then I guess I'm just going to get rid of my faith. And then, then it seemed like no standard was there anymore. And mm-hmm. so it's almost like I was led to sin in other ways. And it's like you said, pick your battles or take risks. I don't know how to, I don't know how to make a general principle of it, but at least for me, I could definitely see if there was no option, no opportunity to be able to like, love someone in a chaste way or even a committed way, like even share like a same home together or something. Like I could see myself like really, I don't know. I just, I think some people just need that closeness with other people. And I don't know if I would be able to live my faith very well if I was just by myself. And yeah, does that make sense? Another kind of nuance on the whole. That does make complete sense. I, I think you're articulating like really vulnerably, like the human longing mm-hmm. for companionship and encouragement and mm-hmm. like I grieve for people who feel that they don't have someone to encourage them in day-to-day life or to affirm because a lot of marriage is that and a lot of friendship is affirming and listening and empathizing and I think it's right to point out that people might be led to despair losing their faith if they feel that that kind of close loving relationship is completely like off the table. Just you don't Mm -hmm. deserve that. And it does seem like this is a a huge area where the church is challenged to really be creative. And one thing I thought of as you were, you were talking about, I'm not sure about a general principle. Well, you know, who also says that is Pope Francis, Morris Leticia, like multiple Mm -hmm. times. I don't want to articulate a general principle. He, He refuses to give general principles sometimes because discernment is so important mm-hmm. in everyone's life and that the church offers ideals and offers teaching and then it's up to us to interpret it and apply it in our formed consciences in our own circumstances and so maybe hopefully this challenge does yeah. move us in a, in a good direction was there anything else that you felt you wanted to say today i know we we covered a lot and i just want to make sure that you felt like you got your Got out what you wanted to share. No, I was definitely very thankful. Yeah, I think to end, I would just say no matter what, 
a given Catholic or Christian would come down on this kind of issue, I guess specifically Catholics, if we're going to admit that as the Catholic Church, God formed this divine society for like the inclusion of all people, if it's made to be like God's revelation on earth is going to be found in the Catholic Church, if we really believe that, then it can't make sense that a whole group of people can't find like a home there. Mm -hmm. Like I know like the theology is messy and like original sin people will say is why people are gay or blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But the fact is there are people that are gay or trans or whatever. And like the church has got to come to grips with that some way or another, or else it can't really be Catholic. Like it can't be universal if it's not, and I don't mean just like inclusion, everyone's welcome. I mean, like a real home. Yeah, it's got to actually make sense for everyone. If I'm here in church and I'm like, literally, the only reason I'm here is because I'm scared of going to hell. If that's the only reason, yeah. then <laughs> that's, like... That's not that a home. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. not... It doesn't seem like the faith is working very well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess that would be the main thing is that pastoral accompaniment, accompaniment all that, it's got to go forward to make people find a home in the church. Mm-hmm. The church is a mother and mothers make homes for people. Thank you so much for sharing your story with wow. us. And I would encourage everyone to go read Patrick's post. It should be um, in the comments underneath wherever you're viewing this now, um, if you haven't read it already. And we look forward to maybe talking to you again, Patrick, or reading more from you. But right, yeah, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for coming on too, because I've just been listening this time and like just learning it means so much to hear your perspective so thank you yeah thank you for the opportunity i really appreciate it thank you patrick thanks all right see you later (laughs) all right i did that sorry i was really worried about the tech how that was gonna work out okay so we're gonna turn to easter now i think unless oh good because paul I wanted to tell you, you were talking a minute ago about how we have to, we were talking about how we have to separate like our disorder from like ourselves, like innately, right? Like we're not defined by our sin. And all I could think about too was like Pope Francis, okay, help me out here, Irby et Orby for Easter, in which the dude was like listing all the sins of the world. Francis the dude, his holiness. Yeah, his, his holiness. Okay, sorry. That was yeah. <laughs> anyway, what I meant to say, how our Holy Father was listing the sins of the world. I mean, he's got like Lebanon, Syria. You're seeing all of this like destruction, and he's talking about like the wars and the hatred. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's Easter. But it's time for bunnies. No, but the point was, I love that. This is the beauty of our faith. Is that like. The sins, like we don't, not to generalize too much, but I think of the Protestant cross without the Christ on it, without the core, the body on it. And I think this is the thing, like we're not defined by our sin. Like we can, like our, oh my gosh, help me out here. Where am I going with this? The idea is that like, here's this Easter message and in it, it lists a lot of the sins of the world. And yet it ends with this ability to still find like joy, right? As Christians, we don't have to fear putting the body of Christ on a crucifix. We don't have to fear like sin in itself in that way. We're not defined by it. Like we're defined by the love of God. So we don't have to hide from sufferings and sins and all of these things. If we really lived our faith to like the fullest, understanding then we would see that like 
that our concupiscence, our sins, the sufferings, they don't even begin to touch how good we are because we're made in the image of God and how loved we are. And that's the beauty thing about, sometimes we tease Catholics all the time because Catholics can be hardcore with our imagery and like our suffering theology or whatever, but it is the truth. Like even our Easter messages, there's the suffering of the world, but you know, there's still joy in the, in, in the risen Christ and who we are despite the brokenness of the fall of man. And yeah, so yeah, that's that my was, <laughs> no, that's, That was the conclusion of like the blessing was where there's death, now there is life. Where there's yeah. suffering, the risen Lord transfigures it. Like, and every, like every Easter, they do the Urbi at Orbi. I think Christmas too, it's the Urbi at Orbi. It's like Latin to the city and to the world. So, and it's, so I've been to the Urbi at Orbi. I, I don't like to like Ooh. brag about my trip to, <laughs> trip to I, Italy for only week. This, but is, it's like, this is, this is the third maybe time you've brought it up. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not counting. I'm not just counting letting you know. But I love it. Okay. So um, I'm yelling because I'm so excited. Okay. So he stand <laughs> like the Pope stands on the balcony where they only stand like after the papal election, the like special one with the big one. Usually he's out the side window and it's just. Oh no, it's because she's been three times. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. So, but like they every time every Easter they bring up it's like the laundry list of everything that's terribly going wrong in the world. And then this is a tradition of but this is like the tradition of the church. You're right. The Catholic Church proclaimed to the world, hey, everything's terrible, we know, and Jesus saved it. So yeah, there you go. exactly. Yeah. I but, cut you off with my enthusiasm, no, Paul. No, <laughs> no, no, that's our faith, right? Like we have the Triduum. Yeah. Which is which is one liturgy over three days, we'll, and we celebrate all of it all in, all at once. We celebrate the passion and death as well as the resurrection all at the same time. And we call it oh, Good Friday. Yeah, it's not it's not Bad Friday, but it's, it's good. But it's <laughs> but it's also sad. So I was talking with um, someone over the weekend. It was on Holy Saturday, and they were talking about how they had one of their parents passed away last year really suddenly. And they're talking about their own reflections on death and stuff and how for Christians, like death is both hopeful and I think the word he used was absurd at the same time. It's absurd. It's also hopeful. And it as we were talking, it reminded me of the, the story of the raising of Lazarus where you have Jesus there and he's been dead for four, for four days. And, and it says Jesus weeps. Even though we know minutes later he's going to rise from the he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, even though Jesus knows that minutes later he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus still weeps at the absurdity of death. Right? Mm -hmm. Like we have to have both because death ought not be, and suffering ought not be, and sin ought not be. They're absurd things that that's appropriate to mourn over. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Christ took the, all those onto Himself and made them paths to greater grace at the same time. So there's, it's not even attention. It's like just both. We just, mm -hmm. we, just we, we need to have both. Like the whole, oh, happy fault of Adam. Yeah. We just heard that in the, in the Easter original mass. Like, I'm like, yeah, oh, happy fault of Adam. Great job. It really is. It's always, it's not like a tension, like with poles that are pulling us one way or another. It's always both things at the same time. Like it's always death and resurrection. Yeah. We have to somehow recall both. But I think what is really challenging and maybe what the pandemic has reminded us all of is that the resurrection happened and we're all going to rise from dead and in the future, 
there will be no suffering anymore, but we, we still live in Holy Saturday. We still, mm-hmm. as we recall that the resurrection is going to happen, we are still living in this fallen world with all this suffering and we have to survive in it with hope as we look forward to that day. Which means mourning, death and suffering. Like that's a part of that. I mean, me personally, I'm putting that stuff aside for a couple of days and forgetting about it <laughs> and drinking champagne in my yard with my kids and bunny. But I'm also fully aware <laughs> that, that I've got like maybe one more day left before I have to join the real world again. But you know, Rachel, I will say your piece you wrote, I don't, I can't remember the title now, but the line and it stuck with me all throughout Lent was the one about the weeds growing together and allowing. Yeah. Which one was it? It was the, it was on patience and conversion. It was about the conversion of this 20th century guy named Haywood Brown. I don't remember what the title actually was. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it's not it patience. patience and conversion, yeah. right? Which is probably why it was so speaking to me because it's like, hey, slow down, Mel. But yeah, no, this idea that, you know, that we, we do take some time to celebrate like that Easter Sunday, but you're exactly right. We are living in a Holy Saturday and it can become very overwhelming to see all of the injustices, especially that are coming to a light right now in the world. And so I think for a couple of days to be able to take a break from that, I hope that, I hope that a lot of the viewers and I hope a lot of people have been able to do that. But at the same time, it is also a real thing that we're not there yet. And it is, it is a time and a place to mourn too that Holy Saturday of, of waiting and understanding that the sins and the brokenness of the world cost. And so, yeah. And even again, we just had Patrick on, but thinking about it in so many different issues and so many different people's lives, all of the pains of the brokenness from the fall of Adam, all of that, like it's all, it is very heavy. And so I think if we can get to a point where we do start to talk about this in exactly this kind of both and way, maybe as much as we can trying to alleviate some of the tension we always seem between what is and what should be, even in how we look at our own brokenness and how we look at the brokenness of the world. I just wonder if, if that might be like some ticket to being able to exist in some of the joy too, that we're called to. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always problems when we um, deny one or not emphasize the other, right? Like if, if, if a loved one passes away or like if a friend of mine has a loved one pass away, if I ignore the sorrow, their sorrow, then like I'm, I'm denying. Yeah. Yeah. I saw. That's not cool, Paul. Don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. You, you have to acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. Um, But also if you ignore the hope, then all you have is despair and nihilism, right? Like we don't have a prosperity gospel and we don't have despair. Mm -hmm. And the only way to avoid those is to embrace both of those things. To embrace both, to allow yourself to feel both. Yeah. Or not feel, but to experience both. Yeah. And I, I, Personally, was struck. I was listening to the the Easter Vigil homily that Pope Francis gave because I feel like that's like his glory moment every year. Like he saves his good content for the Easter Vigil, but he talked about this and he talked he talked specifically like to whoever was listening and he said, "Dear sister, dear brother, if on this night you are experiencing an hour of darkness, a day that has not yet dawned, a light dimmed or a dream shattered." Go open your heart with amazement to the message of Easter. Do not be afraid. He has risen. He awaits you in Galilee. 
And he gives hope. He says, your expectations will not remain unfulfilled. Your tears will be dried. Your fears will be replaced by hope for the Lord always goes ahead of you. Okay. I'm going to cry like reading that. I know because that's the message we all want to hear. That's what we all need to hear. And it's not dismissive of the darkness that people encounter. It's saying, I see where you are. Mm -hmm. It is really hard, but don't be afraid of what hope Christ offers you. And that's something that that Pope Francis is really good at. I remember this was a few years ago. He gave an address to, I think, a group of some type of group that worked with maybe like terminally ill kids. I mean, just like a really, really tough group. Yeah. And and he said, people ask me about the, the problem of suffering. How could God let these children go through this suffering? Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't have an answer. Mm-hmm. And I was, I appreciated that honesty. He didn't even attempt to answer. Mm-hmm. He's, but the reality is, is that God suffers with us. And he promises that he's going to bring something greater from it. And that was his response. Like I, mm-hmm. I loved that because he, he was able to meet people in that question without dismissing the question or trying to answer the question. But no, that's a good question. And we need to sit with that question. Yeah. I think it's absolutely. just so uncomfortable to sit with. Like, it's so different for us to see or hear a pastor who's, that's a tough question. The answer to that is the cross. Because so often people are like, you know what, this is uncomfortable. I want to give them an answer that they're happy with and then move on so that they can get through this. But sometimes what we really need to hear is just, that's tough. And the answer is Jesus. And that's all. Well, that's tough. That's tough. But then, like... That's tough, but I'm here with you. Like we can also yeah. practice entering into people's suffering with them. And me being here with you doesn't isn't going to alleviate your suffering. But then one day, like you said, like one day, like we will see the purpose and the fulfillment of that. But yeah, oftentimes entering into like someone's suffering with them, it, it's not it's not going to give a solution to the problem. But we know that it holds like real value. Yeah, I mean, and th- th- that's the model of Jesus, right? Jesus's response to suffering is, "I'll bring a greater good from it," but also, mm-hmm. I-, "I have suffered and will suffer with you." I mean, one of the mm-hmm. things we we believe about the incarnation is that is that God experienced like He didn't have to die on a cross. Jesus could have died of old age. Mm-hmm. But he chose to die on a cross. He chose to take on the worst of betrayal and abandonment and torture and abuse and injustice so that anyone who experiences those things know that God experienced it too. I mean, mm-hmm. God didn't have to experience it to know it because he's gone, but he let himself experience it so that we could know that he knows what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to emulate that for each other too. And say, because on Easter, on Holy Saturday, and this is such a small example, but I, I got a tweet from somebody who, who was having a rough time and, and didn't think that they were going to be able to find that Easter joy. And it was the same thing. It was like, I, I can't solve your problem. Like I wanted so bad to solve it for this person. I don't even know all the problem, but I wanted them to like, I like felt their suffering or whatever. But the only thing you or I could do was just be like, I'm here for you and like legitimately enter in prayer for them with them for, for a while and just offer that like solidarity and trusting that again, in the end, like the Lord has a place for all of that suffering, even if we can't solve it. Yeah. I think solidarity in other suffering is so important and knowing how to really show that is also important in practicing it. And mm-hmm. I know that 
like when I've been in situations where I've needed to be consoled by someone, sometimes the way that people tried to console me wasn't actually showing solidarity. It was more like discomfort with my (laughs) need for (laughs) consolation, but really just being there and not saying it's okay, don't cry, or it'll get better. Or even sometimes it can be really grating to hear God will bring good out of this, Mm -hmm. you'll find a silver lining, like just being present with someone and acknowledging where they are and helping them like ask God for Easter joy. And that is the process is like, Christ by suffering transfigured our suffering. And so we meet him in the suffering, not like, just as an intellectual exercise, but as a Jesus come meet me here. And that is like really hard to do you know, when you're in the moment and you're feeling awful. But Matt Capodacanal wrote a really good piece about this that we have on our site this week too. That's actually about how to find joy, especially in the midst of the pandemic that we're still in. And he gives some like concrete, like prayer tips from the spiritual exercises. So if people are wanting something more to like, steps to follow. Not that there's like a great step for offering things up, but I think that's a really good read this week too. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. I'll have to check it out when I'm done petting the buddy. This brings me joy. That's how preparation for the live show is me catching up on all the articles from Waypeters that I haven't read yet. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good like practice. It's okay. We're going to, we're going to talk about stuff on the site. Let's make sure we've read all the things on the site. But, I mean, that is exactly like how Easter joy happens is by asking Christ for it. Not like spontaneous. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have a pet bunny and I'm not really a pet person anyway. So neither, by the way, just FYI. Okay. But 13 years I let my kids convince me for a rabbit. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I'm not a pet person. I just have pets. I mean, that's that makes I sense. Have that has always been my line. Yes. Like, I don't have pets. I have kids. And now my kids are asking right. for a pet. And I'm like, exactly. It's terrible. <laughs> So anyway, go ahead. I digress. (laughs) (laughs) But Easter joy, like, I think sometimes we expect it to arise spontaneously as just well up inside. Oh, I feel so happy right now because I'm having jelly beans or whatever. And sometimes we do receive joy. But I think if we are able to understand, like Matt talks about in his post, that joy is always a grace, like it's a gift given to us by God, like then we'll be able to recognize those moments where Christ is giving us joy in unexpected ways. And we will learn how to ask for it because it's okay to ask for it. It's okay to ask for it. <laughs> Especially if you're having a really tough time this Easter, mm-hmm. it is good for you to ask Jesus mm-hmm. to bring you joy. Well, and learning that things are not like, I think sometimes we think things are mutually exclusive that are not. So it's not mutually exclusive to accept maybe you're in a year of suffering and hardship and, and, those can be very trying. It's not a mutually exclusive to try to approach that heroically and accept that suffering to also saying, Lord, please, I would like some, some, some experience of Easter joy. Can you send me something? Because the Lord wants good things in our lives. So I do think sometimes we get caught up in thinking that we always have to choose between two things. You can also ask for joy and then also be resigned to if that's not what the Lord has for you this, this year or whatever too. But yeah, definitely. It's, it's, yeah. Okay. Speaking of joy. We have. Smart, smart, smart. I have um, never seen you look so smart, Mike. Hey, Mike, really did, you watch, Mike. did you watch the show? How did we do? 
<laughs> you guys did great. Patrick Hi. did great. A lot of, uh, I, you didn't talk about me enough. So me enough. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Phyllis. I don't have a collar on right now. And Patrick, <laughs> if you were ever on the podcast again, just know collared shirt for all the men. I forgot to. That was my fault. I did not inform Patrick ahead of time about I, I the collared it. shirt rule. So, yeah. So, I, I had. So, it turns out. So, I showed up. Like, so the specialist was different than the surgeon. And I show up and they're like, yeah, the specialist didn't tell us which eye we're supposed to operate on. And I was like, I. They're like, yeah, you got to come back and get the other like, one. I have two eyes. Isn't that yeah, kind of important? Both, like,. They didn't prep me at all. Like, I didn't know. Like, I, I assumed because it was eye surgery, I could eat beforehand, but, and I did, but, like, seriously, I had no, they, they were just like, I was like, should I wear contacts? But no, like, so my glasses were broken. So there's a website called $39glasses.com. Are we sponsors now? Hang on, hang on. How much, how much are the glasses on this site? Um, $39. <laughs> and because I was a new customer, I got $5 shipping. So, um, wow. Them up so that I could go in, um, you know, but yeah, now that I'm like actually looking at myself on the screen, it's like, I'm, you look so, I like it. I really it's like this look on you. It's very it is, 2021. It's so yeah. cute. You're like a hipster it's now. A, no, but I, no, I'm a nerd because they're like Coke <laughs> bottles. Yeah, but nerds are in. You would have tape on the middle if you were a nerd. The big glasses, they're well, so cool. That was my other glasses. They had tape like right here. And I was like, I'm not going to go, you know, like I can put my contacts back in. They said maybe t tomorrow. Maybe like I Don't do it. Right. I oh, like the glasses. Wow. That's a good look. I, well, no. So I got, I did order a pair of glasses that cost more than $39. <laughs> but they weren't going to arrive in time for the surgery. So um, that's why I got. Take these. those back. Get Take your money back. The 39. Oh, you mean stick with the $39? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, my, um, but yeah, they had, I could have, I could have paid another $25 for thinner lenses. That, But that's how they get you, you know? And then so. <laughs> That's how they get you. Mike, you sound like a glaucoma patient now. You don't usually. <laughs> but that is like something old guys say. <laughs> oh, Rachel, that's a serious burn. Yeah, Mike, now you're now you're as old as your glaucoma matches. Wow, Rachel Banks. Easter well, joyful I Rachel did, over there. I scheduled my COVID shot, so in the waiting room next time, I'll be able to say, to and when I get my number two operated on, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I got mine, you know, a week ago. Um, talk about what brand you got and everything. Yeah, actually, I'll be able to talk. <laughs> Paul, you got yours, or mm -hmm. who's had yep. theirs? Mine's tomorrow. Yours is mine is a week. From, my first one is a week from today. I don't know which one I'm getting. It's I there, assume it's either Moderna or Pfizer because it's yeah. Dan got mm -hmm. Pfizer yesterday at the same place I'm going to. So yep, Pfizer comes from my state. <laughs> we so we live in St. Louis, and the like R and D headquarters for Pfizer is like 15 minutes from my house. And I was driving past, and I pointed it out to my daughter, and she's like, "Whoa, they like." <laughs> I just like throw a shot out the window. Play like darts. Right. So I'm getting mine at, the, at the metro station. Like it's a mass like site. Like the 
M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore was one of the vaccines. Yeah, they're making yeah. an indoor stadium here. Like a Y'all are so cool. I'm just going to CVS, but y'all do you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I wanted to go to no. CVS. I got, I got three texts last week saying, like, okay, we've got your registration and your tier is now accepted. So you'll be getting an email soon to register through my county. And like, so I got like four messages telling me that I would be able to register for. Okay, this is turning into a very old person conversation. It by is, the way. we're kind of old. We're now talking um, about medication. Glaucoma. Everybody, <laughs> everybody should get their vaccine though, so that this nonsense can be behind us. Mike, but, did you have a good Easter? I bet yeah. you didn't have a bunny. Yeah, I did. We went to, so we went to my um, my brother's parish for the Easter vigil. He's he's a pastor. Oh, nice. Um, is that yeah. cool to get like the you know when your brother says mass and you get like Jesus? Is that a thing or not really? Or is it like sibling rivalry? Like, well, so it's like if we do a family vacation, it's like you don't have to go look for a church. Oh, it's that's like, really that's really it's convenient. More like, it's more like should I wear socks for mass this morning? I feel like though. I feel like I might. Okay, maybe I'm petty, but I now that I think about it. Like, if it was my kid, I'd be like, oh, look how beautiful it is. Mass is by my kid. But if it's my brother, I'm like, Psh. Like, oh, so yeah, what? You yeah. can, I feel the same way. Oh, I understand. It's like... Bragger. Yeah. I'm making dinner, so... Like, can I ask a no. question? Yeah. Would you go to confession with your brother? People have asked me that question. And there, are, <laughs> there are two conditions under which I would go to confession to my brother. The boat is sinking and the plane <laughs> is going down. <laughs> That's like, I thought the answer would be. That's so weird. I go to my kid before my brother. I do have a story, and I know we're over time, but this is the story of my brother and confession. So, so, so I like how we were right on time. We were scheduled to end at an hour, Mike's and then Mike shows up well, I'll just to tell random stories. Out and we'll make the okay. podcast one hour long. Um, <laughs> yeah, bye, Patrick. Mike's on. So my, my brother's name is also Patrick, but he spells it with a K at the end. So that's, he's Patrick with a K, unlike Patrick with a C. So back in 2012, same same class, same seminary class as Father Alex Roach, who is one of our weekly, or month, he, once a month, he gives her Sunday reflection yep. now. And, and he did the piece of, he translated that piece about Judas. Um, anyway, when he was ordained, my mom thought that it would be hilarious if I was to, it, so there's the whole thing about like, Boy. You're, like the young priest, hears his first confession, like sometime ordained on Saturday. And then at the end of his first mass, he gives like a cloth that he like the cloth that they like. Manaturgia the mom. They give the, whatever the that's to the mom and the first confession to the dad. So it's like there's this whole like thing with the with the so he has to like cram a confession in there somewhere during the reception and the end of the day and anyway so my um so my mom thought it would be kind of like hilarious or I don't know if she thought it was hilarious or beautiful but if I was to be the person to go to him for his first confession <laughs> and and so then that sounds um, really beautiful so my pastor. Uh, <laughs> 
miracle, right? <laughs> and so my, my pastor was very, like my brother had served as a seminarian under my pastor. So he would, so just like at like daily mass, he'd like throw into his homily. Oh yeah, Patrick Lewis, he's going to be ordained soon. Uh, he's going to be ordained in June. And, and Mike there, he's going to hear Mike's confession first. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like, and so, like, the older church ladies thought that this was the most beautiful thing that they had ever heard of in their entire life. And so, like, and so like the day of, like, the, the ordination, like, I think word has gotten around that, yeah, Mike is going to go to confession to his brother or his first confession. Because, like, I, we had to do, we had babies or something that were acting up or whatever. We showed up to the reception, like, a little bit late. So the crowd was already there. And... I, I hear like people are coming up to me and they're saying, um, Oh, I hear you're going to confession to your brother. <laughs> what are you going to tell him? And I'm like, <laughs> so then I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm heading to the bar. Right. And I'm standing in line <laughs> at the bar and, and I'm standing there and up comes my brother's old college chaplain, father, Bill Byrne who is now Bishop Bilburn of Springfield. Oh. And he comes up and he says, Michael, I hear you're going to Patrick for confession. <laughs> and I said, um, no. No. <laughs> and, um, and then he, uh, and then he said, so, and, and he's like, are you sure I heard you were going to him for confession? And I'm like, no. And then so he turns turns to my brother, who's got like 8,000 like old church ladies who are probably like talking his ear off about how I'm going to go to confession to him and how beautiful it is that he's a young priest. And he goes, Patrick, have you heard any confessions yet? And and my brother like looks up and he goes, uh, no. And he says, let's go. So then Father Bill Burns went to confession with him? so the first person that my brother... So as far as I know, the first first confession that my brother ever heard was now a bishop. Now a bishop. That was a really long way to get to that point, Mike. (laughs) That's the way I tell stories. (laughs) That was the longest story (laughs) in the world. I think my buddy needs water now. (laughs) Well, if the Patreon sponsors want to up their donations, I can tell an even longer version of the... Story. Wow, you really know how to advertise. If you want a full hour of Mike Lewis telling Good Mike God. Lewis stories, if we get three hundred dollars, let's save that. <laughs> let's save that for next Lent. We're we're in the Easter season, Mike. It's time to rejoice. <laughs> what I thought, I, I thought all of our fans would like would enjoy my glasses. So the glasses are cute. I like the glasses. You look so smart. It's a good look. Linda needs glasses so she can. I'm the only one without glasses in this whole thing. I was like, I want to join this nerd party here with the glasses. I'm like the dumb one in the group. I'm like. Well, you're the one who got the laser. Those were your words, Melinda. Yeah, those are your words. (laughs) No one else said that. (laughs) Okay, Mike plugged Patreon. Anything else? Subscribe. Yeah, subscribe to our podcast wherever you're watching this. Um, that's all we got for this week. Happy Easter! Happy, Happy Easter, Easter everyone. everyone! We will be Bye. back next week. Bye! Goodbye. Bye.